Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. I have two guests today, Deb Lewis and Doug Adams. Even though they were classmates at West Point in its first class with women, Deb Lewis and Doug Adams did not meet until 17 years later at the Pentagon in 1997, marrying two years later. Their complementary yet different approaches to life and learning create countless opportunities to serve others. Deb's approach is more experimental, think recon by fire, versus Doug's often theoretical think observation. During her 34-year military career, Colonel Deb commanded three U.S. Army Corps of Engineer Districts, including a $2.1 billion reconstruction program in combat. She's a Harvard MBA who founded Mentally Tough Women. Now her proven strategies, insights, and tools arm women with exactly what they'll need in good times and times of crisis. Doug is also a retired army officer and a licensed attorney. He bicycled 18,067 miles through all 50 states in one year in support of our veterans, military, and their families. He embarked on his Duty Honor America Tour, October 7th, 2010, and Deb drove their RV 26,000 miles on the 10th anniversary of the tour. They launched a podcast series, What Really Helps Bike Plus RV Plus Dog Equals 50 States, to tell the tale of this extraordinary year, year sharing their many challenges and highlights. Today, Deb and Doug live in, is it Hilo, Hawaii? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> where they continue to work with many nonprofits, businesses, and like-hearted people making a difference every day. They have three children and one grandchild. All right. Like-hearted people like you, Kimberly. Yes, thank you. I'm trying to get back into the picture. There we go. I had to read that on the computer today. So welcome, Deb and Doug. Thanks, um, doctor. Thank you, Doctor. Aloha. <laughs> yes, aloha. So um, you both have very interesting backgrounds. So we're just going to take turns. We're going to go ladies first. And um, Deb, tell us about you, how you started out. I'm really interested to, to find out all this about, um, you know, Harvard and going into the military and how you decided on that. So tell us your story. <laughs> We don't have time for the whole story because it's so long. <laughs> so just say I grew up in a military family, so I don't know about you, but I moved around a lot. I know you moved a couple places, but I moved around a lot, but I had a loving family, two older brothers, dogs, and I rode horses and competitively, both competitively swam too. And, and then I decided at 18 that I was going to go to the first class with women at West Point. I was going to do another path, but they changed the rule my year, and I was encouraged to go do that. So I, I prepared hard for that experience and went there, but, and I made it through the first day pretty well. I mean, they, they transform you from civilian to military. Even though my dad was in the military, I'd never um, visited West Point with him, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I knew that was hard. What I didn't realize it was a social revolution. They, they really had low expectations of women and there was huge controversy over women being there. So we had a lot of hate from, from different places and unexpected places. So that was a little hard, but I still, I prepared for that first day and, and the hard part was the run and asked me about that later. The next day was running, which was not, you may run more than I do, but running for 34 years, cause I stayed in the military. I stayed on in the military for 34 years, did the things that you've talked about. And it's been an exciting ride. When I, when I joined the army, which was four years out, you know, you finish West Point and then you go in the army. I thought, hey, great, this is gonna be easy. Not so fast. They had just integrated women into the army. So it was like deja vu, really? And then I picked a real easy path. I went into the engineers, which of course had tons of women. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No women. And so I had to do first and first and first and commands and things like that, all the way up to being the first engineer woman who was commanding in combat. It was uh, quite the ride, but I'll just say that those experiences, that adversity, 
taught me that that stress and anxiety, if you can harness it, and that's the story with the run, if you can harness that, you can accomplish anything. And so you look at me and you say, you did what? People underestimate me all the time. They're like, what did you do? I said, yeah, well, why are you so happy? Well, why not? <laughs> why don't you, you know, want to be happy? And then of course, in the military, 17 years, as you said, I met Doug in the Pentagon. Now, I'd been married before, so the heartbreak of divorce uh, twice before I met Doug and pretty much told it's your fault, it's this, this, this. And um, I met my husband, who, you know, now it's been a, a few years <laughs> ago, <laughs> but I have, to, catch. <laughs> I, have, I have to say that it has been amazing. And, and the Duty on America tour, I'll let him talk, tell that story. I, I decided I really wanted to be with him and that's what we did. And I retired, we moved into an RV and I learned what that was. I wanted a bed at night. I mean, most people want a bed at night, but I have a really bad back. So I wanted to be sure that I could, I could do that. And um, so I learned how to drive it. Mm -hmm. I am going to do one thing right here, if you don't mind. Let me see. I'm going to, for some reason, something's popping up on my screen. Like you said, stuff happens. Yes, it and is. I am, I want to be able to see your lovely face. <laughs> but we moved into the RV and then we had that story. And then together, I'll just do the part after the, I'll let him tell more about the story of the tour, because we love to serve people. And, and my thought was a lot of people retire from the military and somehow they lose their purpose. You know, service in the military is something very exciting and you're given your own, they tell you what pretty much you have to do and then you work within the confines of what that structure is. And I found a lot of latitude there, but still when you leave the military, then that can be a challenge. And I always had the thought, I made an affirmation said, I wanna make a bigger difference when I leave the military than when I was in the military. And I thought I did pretty well there. And, and then being able to move on with Doug doing the tour and us doing it together, that was certainly, that was like a light the fire under us and say, okay, <laughs> do something that's completely out of your comfort zone. And oh, by the way, if you listen to the podcast, especially the first two weeks, I am asking out loud on my audio blogs, how am I ever going to keep this pace up for 52 weeks? <laughs> I thought I knew how to do something, but it was starting over. But I have to say all along the way, we said, um, we said, where's the ideal place for us to live? And then the short end of it is Hilo, Hawaii became that place. And we have loved it. It's the longest either of us have lived in any one place right. at one time, eight years. We've been here now and, and going on more, but yes. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's enough. I'll let Doug talk. <laughs> All right, your turn, Doug. <laughs> Thanks. So I grew up. Uh, I'm a I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid, and I grew up in California. Um, the uh, Bay Area was where I was born, San Francisco Bay Area, and then we also lived in Central Valley. I um, have six sisters, uh, um, all of whom still kind of think I'm okay. Mostly, sometimes uh, depends on the day. But uh, uh, we, I actually went across the country to go to school um, since I lived in California. Deborah likes to call, call me out on this because when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out where I was gonna go to school, um, because you know, it, my dad was a preacher. We didn't have a lot of money necessarily and there was six of us. So part of this was you get these things in the mail. And I got this thing in the mail from a place called West Point. And I had, I had no idea, right? I didn't know anything about it necessarily. And so I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. I must be up on the coast somewhere from here. And it turned out, yes, wrong coast. So <laughs> that's okay. I figured that out reasonably early and um, uh, it worked out just fine. It went to school in uh, New York, which was great. Uh, learned a lot, friends from there, I think are part of, you know, just the major element um, of going there, just the, the shared experience. And we learned that also, it was reinforced for us during the tour, uh, I think it's fair for us to say. Of course, during the, the careers as well, uh, as, especially People during People coming that. in and out of our lives. That's right. Just wonderful. Yeah. So then um, we had different paths when we were in the military. I was 
in the, we, we were close to each other in the Southeast. She was at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. I was at Fort Stewart in Georgia. And then I went to Europe. She went to Hawaii. Uh, I think we both enjoyed our, our times there, different experiences for sure. And then coming back to the United, for me coming back to the United States and eventually getting to the Pentagon um, and, then, and then meeting Deborah there. And we were working together, working for senior leaders in the army, which was a great job. The, the sense of being able to, to help our, our service leaders explain uh, and advocate for soldiers um, with the congressional leaders, that was a really, that felt good actually. And so we did that. I eventually retired from the army, partly because we, we had been, we had got recently got married and the idea was they wanted to send me away, right? They wanted to, to move me out. And so it was like, okay. Hawaii. Right. So, <laughs> so like, now, of course, but well, I'd already been there twice. She'd been there twice. Plus they we were, were going to be setting her up for further senior leader training and education. Uh, and the idea that um, I would then uh, go somewhere else, that just didn't make sense to us. So I had always, my grandfather had been a lawyer. My uncle had been a lawyer. It had been something I had been interested in early, had considered doing it as well uh, in the army, decided to, to instead to go in another pathway for that career, but then was able to go to law school in Northern Virginia uh, and graduated from there. And then I, obviously I didn't practice there because we then moved to Washington <laughs> State. So Deborah got her command, uh, her second command in Washington State, um, really large district that's based in Seattle, which is where we live, lovely place. Um, her daughter- We, we lived in the middle of a botanical garden. Six acre oh, botanical beautiful. garden, that's right. The Lake Washington Ship Canal, the Ballard Locks, anyone who's been to Seattle knows that gorgeous place. Yeah. And we weren't required to do any of the yard work. As a matter of fact, they told me to leave my they told me to leave my lawnmower at home. That's what they told me to do. And I was like, you don't have to tell me twice. So that was okay. And then I began to get involved in some uh, nonprofit activities there in support of our military and our veterans, because of course at that time, many of our uh, young men and women and some of our colleagues and peers had were deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan because this was in the early 2000s into the mid 2000s. And so I was doing what I could to, to try and help. I was also involved with an organization there in Washington State that was a disaster relief kind of agency uh, in support of the state as well. And that it turned out to be helpful eventually for Deborah when she got back from her deployment because she then began to work for the National Guard there and this was connected to the National Guard. So these things always had a way of coming around and, and reconnecting. It was kind of funny to see that. Um, uh, Deborah's daughter Emily was also going through high school at that time and did graduate from Ballard High School in Seattle. Um, about the time we still had a, a couple more years that we were going to be in the in the Seattle area, and, and so that was terrific. And the opportunity to uh, go and and I have two kids of my own; they're about uh, ten and eight years um, older than Emily is. So this was a second um, time through this particular. Um, high school experience with her, but a little bit different because I was still working actively in the Pentagon at the time they were going through their high school years. And so this time with um, Deborah actively working, whether it was deployed or whether it was um, commanding the district there in Seattle, that allowed me the opportunity actually to go to some of the cross country events and the, the, the equestrian things that she was doing, all that kind of stuff. So that was very nice. Um, Eventually, we made our way down to Fort Lewis, where we lived for a couple of years. Deborah had deployed and come back uh, from Iraq, where she had commanded $2.1 billion construction program, and uh, really made a difference in the lives of many of the people there, and I think, frankly, in the lives of a lot of the folks that you worked with that were in your, on your team. Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't just say that off the cuff, this is based on stuff that we've heard from them, right? So that, that I'm very proud of her in that. One, one, that she was doing that. And then two, the team that she put together and the effort that she put together um, to try and share the news. She had this uh, gentleman who was just a terrific public relations guy, public Norris information Jones. guy. 
and then also Troy Roland, who and did Troy the videos, Roland right? Did so the, the videos. The yeah. two of those really did a marvelous job in extolling what was happening. What uh, was actually happening as opposed to what was being reported. You, right. know, you talk about the fake news, but it, they just get it wrong. They take a small thing and we were able to show on the ground the great successes that were happening. So all of that was, so that was really terrific and, and having the opportunity to see that and kind of, she had to be careful what she would tell me because we were able to talk quite often, um, which was great. Um, midnight for her, one in the morning for her, you know, lunchtime or 1 p.m. for me. Mm -hmm. um, but anytime she'd call, I'm taking it. You know, that's just the nature of the business. And, and then when she got back and we moved down to Fort Lewis and Emily had gone off to Tulane in New Orleans to go to college, then it became an opportunity for me to continue to do um, some of the nonprofit work, some of the volunteer work that I was doing with some of these charities. And about that time, during that period while we're there, uh, the vision of doing this Duty on America tour occurred to me. Yeah. And I don't really have another way of explaining it. There was, there were, my mind had been moving in a variety of directions. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? Trying to do that. I, you know, Deborah had deployed. I had not really done that. Um, and so the idea was, what is it that I can do? And then you know, one day I am running around the parade field that we are uh, living by. And can it's you imagine Fort Lewis? Okay, that's my last name. <laughs> Lewis and Clark, named after Lewis and Clark. Lewis. Is it okay to that's tell right. the story? Is it okay yeah. to, to launch into the story right, of that? So I'll okay. just tell you, I'll tell, yeah, it to you. I'll tell it to you quickly. Anyway, no. so we're, so she's working, obviously, I guess. It turns out this day, by the way, is our 10th anniversary. So it's July 31st in, in uh, 2009. And so I'm running and I finish. I'm in reasonably okay shape for a 51 year old guy, I guess. Not great, you know, enough, you know, enough stuff around the middle to make a Goodyear tire, probably that kind of thing. But, um, but still able to, to do two or three he miles. You can still run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the rest of us. So I finish up. <laughs> And it's one of those days, it's so clear in the Northwest, you can see Mount Rainier from space. It's just absolutely spectacular. And with all the glacial ice and all that kind of stuff, just shining, just shimmering uh, in a way. Um, and I'm looking at it and in my mind, all of a sudden pops up as I'm walking across the field, back, heading back home, pops into my head, unbidden. I could run around the state of Washington for our veterans, troops and their families. I then take a second and I go kind of like, hmm. I take a second step and it's like, heck, I just bought a, I just bought a 10 speed bicycle. I could bike around the state of Washington. You I then, just bought it. And then I, <laughs> two weeks before, and then I took a third step and in my head was, we have more troops than just in the state of Washington. I should ride through all 50 states for our veterans, military and their families. I have to tell you, Dr. Kimberly, I then stopped walking at that point, right? Because I was afraid what would happen if I took another step, right? So that's where I, that's the vision that popped into my head with those three steps. Um, people can kind of think that's cheesy. I know that that's actually how it happened. And I thought for sure that all these ideas, right? We, there are in the, um, in the management and leadership book realm, uh, you'll hear that things, something called a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the term back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I guess. And I thought to myself, well, that's one of those. And I thought for sure, like most of those ideas, it would pop away and it would be burst and off it would go, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what happened is that that isn't what happened. What happened is that thing stayed around in my head. And I began to think unbidden again about what this would look like. And I began to sense how I would feel at various portions of this. So after a couple of days and maybe even a week of this still percolating in my head, it became apparent that this was not going to leave me. And I needed to see if this was even something that was possible. Now, I had not yet told my wife of this. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't tell my wife I had this idea for three weeks. And by that time, I had figured out, yes, it was possible. 
I had done the mapping of a general way of going through all the 50 states in a single year because a single year seemed to make a sense, a nice round number plus army units were deploying overseas for a year. So this seems symbolic in that sense. And, and so it was, and then I developed this, she's an engineer, I developed this PowerPoint for her about how this would look. Right, right. you know how to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> So we, get, so we get to this point where it's a Saturday. It's been about three, three and a half weeks since I've had this idea. It's never left me. And I've been trying to work it. And I have this, this presentation that I'm going to show her. And so we're about to go back in those days. You wouldn't necessarily have the software that allowed different, the technology that will allow you to share your calendars, right? So we would sit down and we would share our calendars in a written way, manual way, right? Well, we're about to do that. And I, I asked her, I said, sweetheart, do you mind if I talk to you? And so Deborah's like, okay, because I never say that, right? That's like scary talk, right? I just have to ask, Deb, during these three weeks when he wasn't saying anything, did you kind of feel like something's up? No clue. No. <laughs> Absolutely no clue. Remember, I was still running like a ragged. She was. Thing. She was running pretty hard. Plus, she was she was on TDY for a couple of the weeks during this time as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but no, I also no. I wanted it to be a positive response, right? This was came <laughs> to be important, right? So, I, I know that the adage: if you ask too soon, sometimes you'll get no too soon, right? So remember, you know, the idea is if you want yes, prepare for yes as opposed to preparing for no. So. Um, I, I say, I have something to speak, uh, to talk to her about. She says, okay. And I said, I'm going to, can I show you a presentation? She's like, okay. So then it was, I showed her this presentation. And at the end of the presentation, she has one question. Just one. Can you imagine what that was? <laughs> You're not uh, when are we going to do this? <laughs> no, 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 no. It was you're not expecting me to ride too, are you? Oh. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, nice boy. Yeah, she really didn't necessarily. We'll, we'll put a little yeah. cart behind you and, <laughs> and right. I will call. And <laughs> she, she kind of thought, <laughs> do it. I was going to do it by myself. She had some plans and some ideas of what she was going to be doing. And I wasn't going to get in the way of those because those were important. I was gonna, I, My idea was to go back to West Point to teach. Right, exactly. Be a professor they had had there. some people die right. and they had gaps and I felt that I could go back and because I'd now been the combat, she that would be a good thing to do right. to show the cadet. And she had some support for that, right? There were folks who said that's a good idea to do that. So I, on the, on the other hand, were like, this is something, this is a way for me to contribute. This is a way for me to do something that I hadn't yet had the opportunity to do, right? Now, she'll tell you that I was nuts. I was already doing nonprofits and volunteer work and that should have been enough, but it wasn't enough, right? Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like it was enough. And so this was one of those things, it was like, this is a big deal. So when she says to me, um, she had one question, of course, I, I'm, my heart goes into my throat, right? And then <laughs> she asked the question, which was very funny as it turned out, because it was like, no, I'm just gonna do this myself. You're gonna do your own thing, right? <laughs> well, as it turned out about three weeks, two, three weeks later, a variety of other things happened and she said, talk about the signs. Yeah, there was a variety, uh, of, a variety of forces at fact. That's a whole nother story. And she says to me, you know, I've been thinking, I think I want to do this with you. I've already been away from you for a year when she was deployed or 13, 14 months. I, I think I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to do this with you. And I'm like, you know what? You're giving up, right? You're giving up going to West Point if you do this, right? To teach and all that. And she says, that's okay. I want to do this instead. I want to do this with you. This is important. And I'm like, awesome. And then, and then she told people about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh no, now I'm stuck. She's telling people we're going to do now this. Now it's going to be a dog and pony show. Now it's going to be big. <laughs> You'll hear this term before. You'll hear this term again during this talk or during our conversation here. But now I was committed, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, uh-oh, now I'm committed. Now I had actually started doing the training, right? I'd, done, I'd started doing training because I needed to be in, in good shape to, to do this. A year on a bike, you know, through a whole year, I needed to be, and I'm in my fifties, right? So I needed to be prepared. I needed to have the body prepared to do that. So anyway, so we'll chat about that a little bit more, but 
that's that's how this kind of thing kind of started and then how she got involved. And from that point on, um, she's still finishing up, but it became a daily focus of mine. In addition to the other stuff I was doing, a daily focus of mine to make sure that I was getting myself ready for what was going to be an unknown year mm-hmm. full of unknowns, full of risks, full of new days. Um, and as uh, and as we look back on it now, 10 years later, we have to sometimes remind ourselves every day was a risk. I was on routes that I didn't had never been on before, right? There was nothing guaranteed in the year. And sometimes as a part of our stories, we have to remind our listeners, no day is guaranteed to us. And the approach that we were taking, no day was guaranteed to the things that we were going to do. Yet there was still a hand that was involved. We could feel it. We could feel it. Wow. So talk about going into the unknown and the actual benefits of going into the unknown. Well, I mean, when you went to Iraq. Yeah. Well, I think that what, what I'm learning now to explain it, which is a great question, is we're hardwired to, to, for survival, to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And so just like firefighters or police or whatever, you know, you're, if you're hardwired for to be safe, then it's, you, it's unusual to go in there. But they have the statistics in, in the data that says you can be trained to be able to override that to be able to function in high stress environments. And, and not just that, what we found, and I think that Doug found definitely on his tour, and then I've continued to realize what fueled me throughout it, it really became my superpower is that from the time going to West Point in that first class, it's like launching into the unknown. It's like more like being shot off in a rocket. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to figure out how to put your body (laughs) and Mm -hmm. be able to take it. So I think that, I think that most people are taught these days, oh, de-stress. It's not that those things are bad, it's just that they're not realistic. I didn't find that I'm not going to do a painting in the middle of a battlefield. You know, yes. that's not going to calm me <laughs> down. I love painting, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just not going to be something. Or going and closing my eyes and doing this, you know, that might not be the best thing that I can do in that moment. Or if you have family, which I think family's at very special elevated stress level mm-hmm. because everything is magnified. And so I'm not going to get rid of the kids or I'm not going to get rid of my spouse, you know, just because suddenly things are tough. How do you deal with it? And so I'm one to say, you need to, you need to prepare to add a heck of a lot more stress, be uncomfortable all the time. And then you're going to find out there comes a point when you get over the little hump like this week has been a challenging week is you get over the hump and then you start getting fueled. You start getting energized. You start saying, I can do this. And that's such an amazing feeling. I think it's the same for those people who do those bungee jumping and the high, I don't need, I've done jumped out of perfectly. He has too jumped out of perfectly good good airplane. You know, I can do that and, and that's fine, but I don't need to look for it because life to me is that way when you start doing that. Sometimes mm-hmm. just walking up to another person who may have a look of, you know, anger or something or troubled and just going to say, is there something I can do to help you? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they might yell at you, but okay. But then you find out, like we, when the Pentagon, I found out there was someone in there that troubled and it, it, and I had kept saying, hello, hello, hello. And they kept like ignoring me or it's going, oh, you know, or, you know, doing that kind of response. And then you start, we come up with all these weird things in our head. And I finally looked at her away distance and saying, oh my gosh, she's like the one who has the cloud over her head. Mm-hmm. How, how hard to be that way. Usually yes. the grumpy ones are like that. And if you can be kind and caring, then you can open up. And I made it my mission. I went in and, and she yelled at me, okay, because I said, what's going on? You know, well, do you want to quit your job? No, I can't quit my job. You know, and they, but she let out the steam and then I made it my mission. I'm going to make her smile mm-hmm. and make her laugh once a day. And then this guy shows up a year later and, <laughs> and he, he, I told him the story and then other people can take it and run with it. And let me say, she loved him. Uh-huh. <laughs> she absolutely loved him. She liked me, but she loved him. 
okay? Because he made her laugh all the time. We Going in uncomfortable doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be the person next to you. Mm-hmm. Or it can be like he did the bicycle tour, which most people would have thought was absolutely insane. Unproven, just had a bike for the first time since high school. Where are you kidding <laughs> yourself, right? Well, and I think that there is, there's a term that comes to my mind when we talk about the unknown. And I think that humans... I think human beings are hardwired for adventure. I think that there's a sense that we want that, yet we don't always are, we're not able to understand it either when it's there or expect that we're supposed to look for it because Mm -hmm. we are, like Deborah was just talking about, we're looking for things that become routine. So for example, if I'm going to, get ready to go cycling through all the 50 states, I can't start that day. I could have started that day, but I'm not going to make it. I know right. that. So I have to train. I have to prepare. And, and you prepare for the unknown. And then those things that are knowable, you then can get those things to be knowable. But there will still always be other things that are unknown. And it's the raising of the, the bar over which you're going to jump to get to that next to that next thing that becomes um, the adventure portion of it, right? I think, mm-hmm. and even the training for me, right? So how did I train? Can I just, can I just comment? You I, may. I, I, I will hold that thought. No, hold that thought. No, I'm just thinking about your attitude toward the podcast. You get that. How many people want to even speak in front of one person? Right. Here you are going in front of doing podcasts with other people and recording it. Oh my goodness. It's- right? That is, that is a bar too hard for a lot of people because they really don't understand the excitement and adventure and the, and the success that's on the other side once you get past that bump. But you don't know that it's going to be success. That's the adventure part, right? That's the key. That's the unknown. Mm-hmm. If you know there's going to be success, then it's not really... It depends how you define success because I would say that many of the times it didn't work out as I expected it worked out better. Better. It worked out the way that it was supposed to, because if you can look at every moment that way and say, I have a plan, I'm going to work the plan, but if it doesn't do what's most important, if I can always focus on what's most important, then the Mm -hmm. rest falls away. And it's not something to get excited about. People Mm -hmm. would, like he would say, we did the recordings for the first two weeks, which, oh, tell me, if you've ever seen the RV movie with Robin Williams, you know the bad things that can happen with an RV. I I have to go look that one up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I had everyone except driving into the water. I didn't drive in the water. But in the first two weeks, I pretty much had everything that he he showed in that movie. And um, But the idea is, is that I could talk about it calmly the next day as I said, yeah, well, cut the cables and- Oh, and it's so funny to listen to her. It's listen to her blog. She does these audio blogs the next day and she's just like, it's almost monotone. It's like so calm about it. And I had heard already about it when it wasn't quite as calm. Yes, yeah, I bet it wasn't. <laughs> but you have to process because you got the next day and you get the next moment. So I think that you have to like here you on the podcast. So things are going to happen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's life. Things are going to happen. So we're together. It's good. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. and I, right. I was thinking about those times, you know, when you're having an adventure, when you're going into the unknown and what happens when you get into the unknown and something really, really unexpected happens. What is your thought process when you're actually problem solving to say, okay, what am I going to do now? It depends on what the outcome for me, if I was, so let's say I'm on the tour and I'm in the Midwest, not that this is hypothetical or anything that I'm in the Midwest (laughs) and I I'm about, you know, 30, 40 miles into a 60 or 70 mile day. Um, on the on the bike on roads that I'm not familiar with, but I have a but I have an idea where I want to go, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the bridge is out. Yeah, not noted on what I was trying to do. The bridge is out, and now I've got to figure out how am I going to get around this, right? And so, mm-hmm. so what's the time of day? Am I actually going to have enough time during the day before it gets dark for me to do this? Are there other roads that are going to come around? Because my outcome is. I still want to finish that day. There were some days where that wasn't possible. So then I'm thinking beyond just that day, right? What else do I need to do? 
we're in Fort Hood, Texas, and we have this marvelous day. We meet with the chamber at, at Copperas Cove, which is the, the community right next to us. We have a great day and I'm supposed to start early in the afternoon or late in the morning and make some mileage down towards San Antonio. Well, as it turns out, I don't get to do that. So the next day, if I'm gonna make it down to San Antonio, because the following day, which is a Saturday, so this is a Thursday, we got Friday, we're supposed to be there on Saturday because we have some events we're supposed to do. So I figure I'm gonna to have to really cycle a lot. I end up doing over a hundred miles that next day, which oh, really was you. the first day I had done that on the tour. Wouldn't be the last, but it was the first. You did it for the Ironman in preparation, but that was the first right. time on the tour. And so I get all the way down to, um, I'm forgetting the name of the uh, town. It's in my head, but it's not spelling correctly in my head. So in any event, we get down almost to San Antonio. So I was able to do that in going through Austin, which was nice as well. Yeah. You know, I, you just, you plan for what you can do. And then sometimes plans blow up. Talk and then, to, and then the you work, what's, what's the thing that you're going to do, talk right? about the tribal one. Yes. So this is a favorite day for us, actually. And, and this is a great I, example of on the other spectrum, what can actually be possible so what's when it, you open yourself up to. And opening yourself being, up is an interesting, is, a, is an imperative. I was going to say interesting, but it's really an imperative. When you're doing something like this, you have to remember what your mission is. And our mission is to um, pay attention to what really helps for our veterans, military, and our families mm -hmm. and, and their families. Every morning I would be getting up and I'd be getting ready. If I was cycling that day, which I did 300 out of the 365 days, it was going to be, okay, I'm going to be doing 60 to 70 to sometimes 80 miles that day, which was going to be, you know, four, five, six, something hours probably. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to get myself, um, you know, mentally prepared and emotionally prepared to do that, right? The physical part, for the most part, I was in pretty good shape, but doing something like that on an everyday basis, you know, takes some, you, you got to be prepared to do that. So in a place called, um, I'm forgetting the name. North Dakota? It was in Montana. Oh, Montana. It was in Montana and I'm forgetting Brockton? the name. Brockton, thank you. I was confusing it with Colquitt, Georgia actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brockton, Montana, and we had gone through that. It was our first stop in Montana. We had stayed at a place that was a little further away. Deborah was bringing me back. And as we were wont to do, it was mid morning. And so just to explain the car and the RV um, were, had a wrap on it, red, white, and blue. We have it on our website, Eagle. duty on Americans. It, yeah, it's, we are the, stuff. you know, the, told you we were gonna go big. So think of a 34 foot van. It really was like a truck. It's got red, white, and blue eagles and messaging all over it. Just beautifully done by Keith Vu, who is a rap artist and WRAP artist. Uh -huh. <laughs> and also the car had all of the same same stuff. So she's taking me in the car. We're, we're getting the bike out. I'm putting my- Because they don't even have a stoplight. Shoes on. That's right. It was a single stop sign, uh, single stop, stop sign, sign uh, town <laughs> as, it, as it turned out. And we're doing this work. And all of a sudden, this minivan pops in next to us, sees what we're doing. The minivan pops in next to us and and so the- um, He's pointing to the car leaving. We still have a car wrapped. That's right. Uh -huh. So there's this gentleman who's driving and his mother's in the seat next to him. And he says, so what are you doing? So we explain, Deborah explains because she knows by now, I mean, we're in month nine of this. So she has an understanding of what my morning is and what my mental part is <laughs> in terms uh -huh. of getting ready to get on the bike and go. And Turns out he's a veteran. Turns out he's a veteran. Turns out he's with a uh, Native Hawaiian tribe that's there. Native American. I'm sorry. Native American <laughs> tribe. Boy, the Native Hawaiian just popped out Hawaiian, of my mouth. We're so used to it here. That's yeah. right. So Native American <laughs> tribe. And uh, he had been in the Air Force. So he was an Air Force veteran. Hmm. And he says in the part of the conversation, he says, you know, this is awesome. This is, this is great. Yeah. Did you know that there is this, we are having our annual powwow with tribes from both the Canada, Canada. side, because we were close to the Canadian border, mm -hmm. and the Dakotas and Montana. Um, and the so, Badlands. Yeah, so it was a Badlands, 38th annual Badlands powwow. And I, Deborah hadn't seen it, but I had seen it as I cycled in the day before. They had this 
um, big fest tent kind of thing set up. Um, and they were using this old rodeo grounds, it looked like. And yeah, I'd gone by and I had seen that and, and had gone into town and all. And so they say, we would be honored. We would like to invite you as our guests to attend our closing Closings. ceremonies because we celebrate veterans as a part of our closing as a part of our closing ceremonies. So Deborah turns to me, and she, and she's like, "Well, he's getting ready to to go," and it's at this point, and this had happened before, so I was prepared for this. But it's at this point where I have to pull myself out of where I was at, right? Mm -hmm. I I mentally have to pull myself out and think about what it is that they're offering compared to what I was getting ready to do, right? Because we're in this, we're in this mode, right? So inertia has set in and you're having to stop that and think about, is there something else that we could do? Mm -hmm. And fortunately we had gone through this and between the two of us, we had worked this before throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, it was like, this would be very cool to do. And the fact that you're inviting mm -hmm. us, sure, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I finished getting my stuff on. I get on the bike. We follow them to where this is. They introduce us to some of the elders. We meet this young man. Joe, Wounded warrior. Joe. Yellow. Yellow hammer. Hammer. Right. Mm -hmm. Joe yellow hammer. Tall, tall young man who had been in the infantry had had, had PTSD. And I think also he'd been wounded, wounded and he well. lost members of his unit uh, too. Right. And, in and the fight, in the firefight in, where he got in injured, Iraq, I think. Right. So or Afghanistan. But he two. was in charge of, and he was in charge of the whole closing ceremony, the closing ceremony, and the flags. And so in the process of having the conversation, which is great, we're meeting all these folks and then we're kind of walking around we're seeing some of the kids and they're all in this, their regalia. I mean, it is just fantastic. Magnificent. It really was. And it turns out they're going to be doing this ceremony and there's, there's a flag ceremony portion of this where they have combat veterans only that are allowed to, or members of the military that are allowed to um, carry the flags. And so they have um, somebody that carries this joint um, kind of, um, it wasn't a flag. It was for the veterans. Right, right. It was uh, for their whole group. Right. So and they then had you had a Canadian, you had a Canadian. That's right. So you had Canadian. a U.S. flag, Canada flag. Um, the, I think the powwow flag, and then also a POW MIA flag. And so Joe says to us, he says, you know, we were talking and we would like you to participate given what you're doing, because we're explaining what we're doing. And given what you're doing, we would like to, to invite you to carry the flag in this. And we're like, whoa, no, I, that's, I mean, that's too much. And they're like, no, 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 we really want to. And so they say, so Deborah says, well, Doug, I should carry the US flag. And I'm like, no, you should. One, you're the combat veteran. And two, <laughs> I've had this POWMIA bracelet that I have been wearing throughout the entire time I've been cycling. I would like the honor of carrying that flag. Mm -hmm. And so they said, that's awesome. And so what was cool about this is that they stood, their principles were combat veterans. Didn't matter the gender. So here's a woman no, they don't. <laughs> they didn't have their women in the initial portion of this. Right? Unlike the Northwest, where we're in Seattle, where women were leaders in the tribes uh -huh. in in the center of the country, not as much, right. mm -hmm. very little. And so this was a huge honor a huge for honor. me. So she's uh, carrying the that. American flag. We have. But you have to imagine a um, dirt big area, like you said, a rodeo. So you got, it's covered, it's in a huge area. Think 450 people dressed to the to the nines with all their, their cause they the had competition, their everything. native gear. And right. it, it was, it was, they had competitions. I mean, it was just gorgeous. And then we're chanting and drumming and, and it was like this frenzied thing as we, we were and then the, and marching. And then the women and the kids joined in behind it. Everybody joined four us. Four or five times going around and, and everybody's coming around following the drums and all that. And it's like a slow hurricane. It really was. <laughs> everybody Speeding was around. There doing it. And, and it, thankfully I gave Joe my camera because I would never have felt comfortable taking the pictures myself. But he's snapping he's pictures. snapping away at what's going on. So we do on. have pictures of, of the day. And we just felt so so, so then of course that ultimately that finishes i still and it's probably like i don't know two o'clock two thirty i still have 60 70 miles to do that day right mm -hmm. fortunately we're up in montana it's june or july i think it's july or late june 
So the sun's going to be up for a while. So, you know, I'm, I get on my bike and I get going. Um, and Deborah had some other things she was doing that day. This was like one of those days. It was like a three or four story day. Right. But this was so key to us. We remember this, the idea of Every day was rich. Um, it really was. But <laughs> having that experience, being treated um, in that way, oh, watching them such an treat honor. her with, you know, the respect that she was due because they were treating all their veterans that way. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. And all, we could have missed it. We could have said no, right? This was a choice. And, but we said yes. And as a result, all of this, you know, just happened for us. And, and we just felt, you know, we have told that story a lot of times because it's such an important story to be able to share that. And, and, and we just- It's a really great excited. example of even just saying how uncomfortable, but but how that little bit of stress, thinking about, you can think about things that could stress you out, or you can think about what's the opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And it was a clear example that we we didn't know, but you can sense it. You can sense what it what is it doing i won't say it's the instinct but it was the training and the preparation and we had a really good then you're when you're focused on what you want everything opens up i'm not saying everything works perfectly but it but you figure out how to fill in the other gaps and and the idea that this was a native american event was it particularly um important to us because of all the ethnicities in the country the percentage, the per capita percentage of folks that serve in the military, the greatest percentage is Native Americans. And we knew that walking into the entire tour. So we looked for opportunities to try and reflect that and to, to kind of uh, develop those other stories. pieces, the crazy horse. I dealt with tribes as part of my Seattle district command, 38 tribes in our region. Um, it was just a huge, huge honor. So that's a long answer to your question. So sorry. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I love the stories. It's, oh, it's wonderful. So um, what can we do to help veterans? Because I personally, I'm very patriotic. I am so thankful and grateful. So thank both of you, you know, for your service. But what can individuals do, do to, to help veterans? So I'm going to turn this over to my wife because even though I was active in veteran nonprofit and charities while she was um, still on active duty, since we've moved to Hilo and I've got involved in some community standard kind of community and civic organizations, she has taken the ball and run with it with veteran organizations. I think our country has to remember that unless our military is strong, that unless our military is strong, we will not be free. We will not have the ability to disagree openly. We will not be able to do so many things. And to keep our military strong, one is our own military members are, if they would join military organizations, we would have a greater voice for the military. That's one. And so family members can encourage them or at least provide information to them about these military organizations. So, I, so let me just, these yeah. are these are service organizations. So service. you talk about them as military organizations. They're really- They're service. They're fellowship opportunities for folks that have served in the military. Um, there's a shared understanding, shared experience as well. And so the opportunity is folks that sometimes need help, this is a place for them to be able to get it. And, then those... and they always need volunteers. Right. We have people who come in, they're not a member because most of the organizations, I'm Veterans of Foreign Wars, I'm number two in the state. By summer, I'll be number one in the state of Hawaii, the commander. But the thing is, is that these organizations, for them to be viable and to give people what they deserve as a military member, we have what they call service officers, People don't even know what to do to get their benefits right. and, and they're entitled to benefits. And so ensuring that, but it's not to say the government will answer everything as in all things. Mm-hmm. If we are not encouraging service in every aspect of our lives, then they're going to be people who fall through the cracks, whether it be the military member, their spouses or their kids. And, and so we need a strong community. And so the best way is, if you have veterans in those organizations or you have others, they don't have to be the lead. In fact, it's better when they don't lead the effort. It's better when others come in who are very patriotic like yourself, who want to come in and say, just asking a question, 
there's a question that is not a good one. <laughs> there's a question that's not one that we would recommend asking. That's called need any help? <laughs> because if you ask someone, do you need any help? Come on, Kimberly, do you need any help? <laughs> Nobody right. wants to say they do, even if they that's do. Exactly and right. especially veterans. But if you, if you ask them a quite, hey, look, I've got an hour. I'll come by your house. What tools do you want me to bring? I'd like to help you out with something. And just commit to it. Do it. We've had people who, who would find out that an elderly veteran has not been able to clean their once gorgeous yard. And I'll get choked up here. Thanks for the great question. But we, we in our discussion, just like this one, yep. somebody went and they said, you know, in church, they asked someone in the church said, hey, I'm going to be there with some tools on, on Saturday. Tell me what you'd like me to do. And they said, well, do you think you can help me with my front yard? And so they, they got one other person and they helped clean the front yard. And then they said, you know what, we can do more. And they looked around the backyard and they go, well, we're going to need more help for that one. So, <laughs> you know, we'll be back. But the idea was who felt better? They all did mm -hmm. because the, the veteran now has a place he can be proud of again. And the people who helped feel good about having something. So, yeah, part, of it, so part of this is Show about recognizing. So you, you, you talked about it, right? You talked about the idea that folks have served our country and getting recognition for that. It's interesting because veterans don't want it but they need it, if that's under, if you understand where I'm coming from. In other words, they're not looking necessarily, they're not gonna go and say, you know, you didn't pay attention to me. And, and so, you know, I'm not gonna pay attention to you, but there is a sense that they did go serve and a recognition that that service means something. And so it can be something as simple as thank you for your service. It can also be, hey, um, I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and just, you know, let's make sure talk. you're okay. Let's talk. Oftentimes, the connection is the key, right? Because sometimes veterans will feel that they are disconnected. It's so, it's unfortunate, but they can sometimes feel that they have, through what they have gone through, that they end up feeling disconnected from the very society and community that they had left to, to fight for, right? To defend mm -hmm. their, uh, the, their freedoms. And we had the opportunity uh, when we were in, um, South Dakota, coming from Wyoming, and we stopped in this small little town. And the, one of the gentlemen that came to see us was a veteran, had served, had PTSD, he recognized. I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm serving on the council here, right? Um, I, I felt like it was my time to kind of give to my community, even though I had done this other service, this was my service here. And I recognized that as something that our parents and our grandparents um, had done as well. And they are bringing that sense of service that has been um, created with, you know, their whole being back to their community to set that example, to show what can be done. Um, and I just thought that was so, that was just so immense, such a great example. And so I think other people, if you're just welcoming to veterans, if you, if you can just connect with them, help them connect as well. Sometimes the veterans homes are, are terrific places. Oftentimes those folks are, you know, it's tough for them. They're at the end. Nope. Nobody goes, nobody goes through life thinking that they're going to end up in a veterans home, right? But the veterans homes are there to try and provide a place. It's a shared experience again for the folks that are there. And then and just going to say their name. You know, you go in just beside the staff, the staff will love them and care for them, but mm -hmm. having other people come in and, and they like to learn about the new gadgets. I mean, kids can come in having children. It, it's just such an amazing thing when it all works together. And one of the things I talked about the parade before we got on the call is we have, I had six years, I've been in charge of a parade, which I took from mostly um, high school bands and military service organizations. And last year we had 90 units. Why? Because I felt that if you're going to have it, we have veterans. I just assume we got veterans or veteran family members in every kind of group you have in an area like mm -hmm. our island. Yep. And I wanted to showcase what are they doing to serve veterans? What are they doing to serve the community and showcase them so that if they could all use more help mm -hmm. and if they're, if they're doing well, 
then they will survive. Like Doug is, is the president of the board for the Boys and Girls Club for the Big Island. And they have now, by Thanksgiving, they will have served 130,000 meals. We're over 130 now. Maybe, we're already over it. Maybe so 130, maybe up to 150. 150 by Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. But they've been, they had All they the pivoted. They couldn't bring the kids in at the time, but they pivoted, used yep. their facilities, right. have been feeding the island. We have 200,000 people on this island and many are in a low income area, especially mm-hmm. veterans and the, what we call the Kapuna. Um, and we, those are the elderly. And so those are the ways, there's so many ways to help. And it's just, it's not that you have to do big things. You know, so you always say big things, but it's, it's just, what can you do? What do you feel comfortable with? Like we have someone who does taking some of those meals, 40 meals over to a facility once a week. So they're happening five days a week. I can do once a week. What's the little piece you can do? It keeps it all rolling, right? It just keeps it going. So those are just some ideas. Wonderful. Well, um, I would like you guys just to share if people wanted to get in touch with you, how do they do that? What things are, you know, if you've been talking about some of the things you've been working on, but um, any service or products or anything you want to talk about? Well, I think that Deborah certainly can talk about her Mentally Tough Women project and, and what she's doing to take care of folks that are in, in a, uh, when we're looking at, we had talked about adventure, we had talked about, you know, what's the unknown and that can create a certain anxiety, right? A certain stress. Mm-hmm. And Deborah has been really good at um, figuring out how to turn that to your own advantage, right? So I think for me, and I'll, and, and I'll just say this brief bit, in our 10 year anniversary podcast of our tour going around the country and talking to um, individual communities. We, we started it as a conversation to um, try and help veterans, military, and, and their families to have them recognized, appreciated. And it turned into an opportunity to talk to communities around the country as well, which was wonderful, actually. And we began to be one of those things that shared what was happening in other parts of the country with different places. I remember talking to somebody in, in, um, I guess it was probably in uh, Tennessee and we're talking about something that had happened, you know, in Kansas or the other way around. And then also in North Dakota talking about something that had happened. So the idea that we were able to share what was happening around the country, because people want to know, they feel that they are part of one country and they want to know what's happening in the other part of the country at a real level, at at a personal individual level. And we had the ability to kind of share that. That's going to be part of what folks will hear during our weekly podcast. We're going to be able to share those things. That's part of what we're really excited about as we as we have started this project up because we haven't written it down. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah has had her blogs kind of sitting on audio the shelf. Blogs. Audio I have twenty thousand photos. All these two hundred sixty nine so audio blogs. We have blogs. all this idea that we would be sharing this information. It's now ten years, and it's like we need to do this. It's, it's important for us to do this. And so that's why- They can go dutyhonoramerica.com, dutyhonoramerica.com. And there's a tab there that says podcast. And every time we do a podcast, we also accompany it with a video highlights reel, which is set to music. It's a flavor of the pictures and topics that were talked about during that and a little bit more on the, on the reel. So they have both of those for every week. So we started- we started when he did the Iron Man. That was episode zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then episode one was the day we started the tour, which was October 7th. Mm-hmm. And then weekly, we've been putting out podcasts. So that's a place to go. If people want to find out more about the work that I'm doing to help make stress and anxiety your superpower, they can go to mentallytoughwomen.com. Do I help men? Of course, I help men as well. Mm-hmm. The idea is, is the men have to be able to work with women and not crush them, you know, working with women and being with women. Maybe not uh, be crushed by them. And not be crushed by them in the process. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, I can teach that. (laughs) But the the thing is the mentallytoughwomen.com because on Udemy, for example, I have two free courses. One is called Extreme Stress and the other one's about stress basics. And I already have 
over 2000 people taking those courses from over 110 countries. So I, it, I'm getting good reviews. I know they're making a difference because why I know about it? Because I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> I lived it. And like an engineer, I broke it down to say, here are the steps and here's the order of the steps. And then you do them all together. But if you only do one, here's the first step. If you do two, here's the second right. step. Right. And I, you know, if you can break it down to people that way, then we can really make a difference because it changes the dialogue to be what you, you what you've heard in our conversations. Mm -hmm. We have it with each other. We can we can have the hardest stress, but we know, for example, that why do we have to say a harsh word to each other? We don't. We it, it's something that you choose to do, and you should be protecting loved ones instead of what we hear a lot: the myth, "Oh, my family can take it." You know, they can, I'm in a bad mood, you know, they can take it. Well, no, if you take a look at all the data and everything else, they really can't take it. And so this is stressful times. And I get that. And I'm not whitewashing anything. I'm fact, saying it fact, can be done. You're, you're, in fact, it's the opposite. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. it, this is a reality check, right? Stress mm -hmm. is out there. We know it. So rather than trying to hide from it, or um, maybe fight it, or just freeze as a result, what is it? We know that stress can be positive for us, right? If I didn't have stress, I'm not making it through a day, you know, cycling around the, I'm not, it's not happening, right? It's understanding it, it's accepting it, and then it's using it. And getting excited about almost it. Almost the motivation, in some cases, an inspiration. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, it's just been lovely. And it's been lovely to have you ask the questions, because this is our first this is our inaugural podcast together at our <laughs> anniversary. So we are delighted that you were so open to be able to, to talk with us today. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's been so much fun. And I've so loved your stories and uh, your struggles and your celebrations. <laughs> Absolutely. And <laughs> That's exactly right. And everybody has those, don't they? I, right? I say I'm queen they of all have those. queen of being yelled at though, because remember the recon by fire thing? Uh -huh. That's the one where I'm, I don't know enough not to do step into it, but I feel <laughs> I have to step into it. And, and that can anger people who want to have a plan and work a plan. And who are you to ask me any question about right. my plan? Right. So uh -huh. I've estimated I've been yelled at by over 10,000 times. <laughs> um, and, and I'm wow. still here. I'm still <laughs> here. You know, it's like, okay, stand in line. You know, As I like to say not one of them by me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And the question I ask everybody at the end is, what is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? So for me, I think I, I feel very at peace of being married to this woman. People have asked me, you know, what, what is it that really worked for you? And I know that um, I was also married before. But the key for me with Deborah is has been almost from the beginning, maybe there's just a sense, I want to say sense of calm, but that's not necessarily it. it there is a sense of joy and a sense of, of peace that just comes with the connection, right? Um, I think that that's, I think that's vital, but I also know that that's maybe special here. I think that part of how that happens though and I, I go back to the term that I used before, and that was commitment. I think you have to commit. It's when we don't commit to something, when we think that maybe there's a, a, a something down, right? You're having a conversation at a, at, a, at a party, right? And you're always looking around, right? You're not committing to the individual that you're having the conversation with, right? Mm -hmm. If you are going to decide that you're going to do something, then you need to commit to that activity. And you are saying no to other things, right? When we bought the RV, right, we knew that buying the RV meant, and we had this, I had this conversation with her, meant, well, we're committed now, mm -hmm. right? We're doing it now. We're spending this money. We're committed to this now. That meant saying no to something else. And that's okay, right? Things don't necessarily last forever, but the idea is that for the time that you're going to do something, if, if peace and joy and having something meaningful happen, is what you would like to see, then being committed to that, um, I think makes it happen in a major way. Mm 
Beautiful. And I'll ditto that. And then I'll also say that no matter what life dishes out, always give your best and believe in and speak to the best in others because everybody's going to have a bad day. Everybody's going to be challenged. And those are not the times to turn away, go off in a huff because it didn't, they didn't thank you for something. <laughs> it's like, don't expect any of that. They're challenged. How do you speak to the best and get that best out of them? Because when people are allowed to shine with you safely, because you're not going to judge them, it's just remarkable the beauty that lies within the light that pops out and we get to see that with the people I get to see that with my husband every day we get to we just have to look at you just can be around them and you know because you feel safe you you because you are trying to be your best and and when I stumble he picks me up dusts me off say go for it honey Go back yeah, at it. Right. And when and maybe when I'm not ready to do to feel particularly adventurous, she'll say, You can do this. Get your butt out there. In a nice way. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly, for having us. Thank you so so much. We're very grateful, honored for our time together. And for any of your audience that listens to us, we look forward to what's next and we want to stay in touch. So Please do. All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you again soon.